Welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got our man Jack Butcher here, Visualize Value founder and trunk fan, me, Master Flex himself, and this is Bilal Zaidi as always. Um, boys, let's get straight into this because Amazon um, is apparently getting into the physical retail business. They've been department been store. News, We're doing department, department stores, stores, right? right? Okay. Yeah, so it's coming full circle now, man. This is well, this is hilarious. Hold on a second. Speaking of department stores, let me let me pimp a product. We don't have advertisers on NIA, but we can always dream. So, man, you know I like all type of caffeine delivery vessels. This is my new poison, bros. <laughs> you guys seen this? No, what no. is that? Is this Trunks? Trunks got some side sponsors so he can uh, just talk about it. He'll be like, Venmo me five hundred dollars, and I'll, <laughs> yeah, I'll plug it. You guys, right? <laughs> No, actually, you guys will laugh. This is actually my new caffeine delivery mechanism. The it's size of it. Is that just a straight yeah. tablet? Yeah, these are like oh, these are Alka-Seltzer tabs. But yeah, I uh, I just need caffeine delivery. I, 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 the worst, I don't, wait, Jack, you drink obviously come two in the morning. Have you ever had a morning with Ford where there was no caffeine in the house and you woke up and you're done? Has that happened yet? It's awful, uh, right? Uh, it may have happened, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just the worst. Anyway, well, how many milligrams of caffeine are you t- intaking a day, roughly, you reckon? Uh, probably the equivalent of four or five cups. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, it's a lot. That's it's good, it just needs it straight to the veins by this point. Yeah, man. I just... know. But uh, actually, yeah, let's get into it. So Amazon is opening yeah. a department store. I don't know the full details here. I know that you sent that along. Web, Web Smith uh, yeah. tweeted it. So Trung, you, you'd reference Ben Evans. He's got a, a post called Amazon is a boring retailer, which we'll yeah, talk a little so, bit uh, about. Well, let me talk a bit about, uh, so this, this obviously isn't Amazon's first footprint in the game. Uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods. Yeah. Uh, Amazon uh, has their kind of uh, uh, automatic checkout stores. But if this is correct, it sounds like they want to basically do what Sears had, right? It's like these large, Real uh, pieces of real estate where you can showcase different brands, probably a lot of their own stuff, frankly. And uh, I think um, to go to Benedict Evans' article, Benedict Evans was a former partner at Andreessen Horowitz, probably one of the smartest writer, writers on technology. But he's been banging on this drum for years. He's just been basically saying every time Amazon does something and don't get us wrong. Amazon's massive, right? It's like a $2 trillion company almost. It's like every time they're going to do something, it's going to cause a lot of ripples and waves, right? They're one of the biggest employers in the United States. Um, maybe the biggest other than Walmart uh, privately. And um, so anything they do is under the microscope. I totally get that. But what Benedict was trying to point out was like nothing they do is new, right? Like everything that Amazon does has been done in retail before. And, and these aren't new ideas. And one of the canonical examples that he uses is, you remember, uh, it's still going on, but this beef about Amazon's white label business and how you know they'll see a really popular product uh, that's selling and they'll just do their own version of it. They do like Amazon Basics or something, right? Exactly, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, there's, there's the, the part that has come under the microscope, which I, I can grant, I'd be pretty critical of myself, is uh, how they'll see something that sells well or they'll uh, invest as venture capitalists in certain companies and just kind of take the product. So Benedict Evans' whole point is like, this isn't new at all, right? Like every major retailer has a white label business. So Costco's white label business, Kirkland, does 30 to 40% of the revenue a year, right? So like people don't understand is like, 
every major retailer has a white label business. And Amazon's white label business is tiny. It's like one mm. or two billion dollars a year from this research I saw, which is a drop in the bucket. I think they did 250, 300 billion uh, in 2020. So if you were to like, if you really want to point the finger and look at people that apply the white label thing, the first question is, here's the first question. Should it even be wrong? My whole thing with white label is like, I mean, not really. It's like these guys own the store, right? Like if you go to Costco and they have their own product in their own stores, like, yeah, they spent hundreds of millions of dollars building these warehouses, right? They spent 70 years building this business model. They can put over the fuck they want in their store, right? But you know, and, but you, uh, you know where the ethical dilemma is, I think, or that at least what yeah. people push back on is that yeah. the marketplace is kind of posing as a free market for right. people Absolutely. to come and bring you, When you say marketplace, too. you mean Amazon marketplace specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not so just it's like gen- I invent this thing. Like in Costco has to take a risk or more of a risk, I would say, in like putting sure. stuff physically in stores. So it's a really interesting debate. It's it like another very- thing that the internet is like, okay, it makes it easier for you to sell your stuff. But if you get too successful you're going to get destroyed by the beast. And that's like right. true, whether you're selling stuff on Amazon, whether you sell like anything that you do that gets popular. It's like NFT world is a good example. The profile picture thing, three projects come out two weeks down the line. There's 10,000 versions yeah. of the same thing. It's, it's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. If you have it all in house, you just get to do it way more tightly. It doesn't necessarily mean it's different though. Well, I actually want to address Jack's point is like, again, everything I'm seeing here is a complete amoral judgment. I'm just, I'm saying what, and Jack, to your point, you're kind of saying the same thing. It's like, this is the nature of the beast, right? And -hmm. I think the other part about Amazon's marketplace that people have to understand is, so Amazon marketplace actually is bigger than the retail business. Like their third party seller business, where to Jack's point, the, the popular image is that anybody can just sell on Amazon. The reality is that it really has just become a place where, it's just populated by ads now. Amazon's ad business does 30 bill is on pace with 30 bill a year. Mental. It's, yeah, it's bigger than Pinterest, Twitter, Snap, like by a factor of twice combined, right? So if you actually look at the marketplace now, it's, it's man- really mad, isn't I mean, it? here there's a there's a there's a photo I put up, uh, Amazon ads, Trung Trung, you can share your screen if you want to show that. Just while you're pulling that up. Yeah, that, I'll just show it just gonna, to make a point, right? Yeah, the point I was gonna add is High level, I'm kind of all for Amazon doing this, to be honest, because I'm like quite a pure capitalist in this way. But the even I'm thinking, all right, they're they're basically doing predatory pricing is right where one they're getting all this data obviously which again I agree they've earned the right to get that data. But what they're basically doing is then creating something and just basically selling at a loss a lot of the time. And I think that's where the the argument is is it predatory that they're just going to put all these people out of business? And um, yeah, that, that's the, that's well, the dude, conundrum, I, I isn't it? Say, but I'm as not, a consumer, I'm I like it because I get it for cheaper and I actually yeah, buy a bunch of Amazon, Amazon basic stuff. I'm just, I'm just, I think to Jack's point is the main point here, right? It's This is just the paradigm. It is now, right? And that's why governments are cracking down on uh, on these big tech companies because they, they're the size of countries now. So this is- I just don't uh, this think it's stoppable example. as well. If we want to go down that route, it's like, I don't think you can stop it, but ca- yeah, carry on. It's inevitable, on. right? Yeah. No, I just wanted to show this screenshot. Uh, here it is. Is uh, That's it, right? This is an Amazon product page. Everything in blue is, a, is an ad. Wow. So like, this is the nature of Amazon now. It's like, 
these are look at this banner 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 promoted 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 right it's like it's all ads so just going back to jack's point is like the uh, the uh the idea of uh the third uh party seller marketplace being kind of open market it just is just it's just not true anymore right it's like you got to pay for placement if you become overly successful there's so many hacks now to the game and uh but i think the my larger point about it was just that white label businesses have existed forever but Amazon gets extra scrutiny for everything. Because that they're good at it. Yeah. They're, they're the so, best at it. Yeah. Their white label business isn't even that great, yeah. right? Like it's not that huge. They're ba- they, they totally wipe the battery category. That's the one category where they, it's just like you go on Amazon basics. You're not buying Duracell, man. You're going to buy the Amazon basics product. Right. But, tr- but uh, go ahead. No, I was just, I, I'm, I want you to finish your point, but I guess the question that comes to mind for me is just this. If you think about the future, forget Amazon specifically, well, let's just say the future of retail and people buying stuff. Like to me, if I was starting a business in this space where I'm selling anything, you're either selling a commodity like a battery, yeah. right? Or you're selling something with a brand. That's the only way you can differentiate. And the, the third part specifically to compete against Amazon is something um, along the lines of very sp- specialist delivery, right yeah. um or like expertise right but if you think of diamond rings is a good example you're not buying yeah. your diamond ring at the moment anyway on amazon you might you know first of all there's a bunch of fake Yo, reviews bro, don't poke the beast bro <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's true but i'm just saying i remember doing a um when i worked at google i worked on retail for most of that time so we would do get a lot of these kind of talks and people would come in and and share it and there was this academic research from wharton and this dude was like that's basically the only way you're competing if you think of right white glove service you you know everything there is to know about diamonds even if you're selling online right like that's a a category that actually works and then in the d2c world if you think of a casper um casper really is a generic product right that yeah. has a specific, well, a, a good brand, and then uh, a simplified uh, way to get Delivery it in your home. Yeah. Delivery mechanism that they can bring in a, a box that opens up in your house. Amazon could probably do that as well, and maybe they do. Um, but like, I think that's the other thing. So I guess the question is, if if you're going to start a business in this space, or if you're a business, how do you compete with Amazon? There's it's so many things out here. Um, so let me circle back to Benedict. And let me put a cap on the, his point. His point has always been Amazon's just rolling out the entire retail playbook that Sears did in the 20th century. So the things he lists are this fixed pricing, discounts, uh, selling something at a loss to bring people into the door, right? Like happens all the time. And this is why you go to Costco and the hot dogs are a buck fifty, right? They're selling those motherfuckers at a loss. And so you walk Shout in the door. Costco. Or same with the rotisserie chickens, right? Um, advertising, merchandising, display, and returns. These are all things that Sears kind of invented and in the department store model. And Amazon's just porting it into the digital world. And uh, just, they, I mean, and, and I mean, you add the cloud business on, there's a lot of questions about how much power would you can have if you're basically Sears plus like the greatest internet business ever, which is Amazon Web Services, right? So not to say there aren't questions, but... Nothing they're doing is new. I think that's the main point here. And I think uh, the, the illustration of the white label business is probably the best one, right? It's like every single major retailer does it. I mean, Target, article came up two weeks ago from Fast Company. Target has 10 $1 billion private label man, brands. They have four $2 billion brands. And a number of those are direct knockoffs of uh, previous partners they had. I think Reebok was a partner or Champion. Champion was a partner they had. 
and Target released their own version of athletic wear. And the, basically at the same time, their exclusive partnership with champion went out and it's a, a billion dollars in a year. Right. Remember so, what that's, do you remember what that's called? Uh, athletes in motion or something in motion. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Right. You'll know if you put in motion target, that's the brand that'll come up. Yeah, man, well, yeah. Jack will laugh, man. Jack, you know this. It's all about distribution, man. Target's got no the doubt. distribution, right? No doubt. Uh, no doubt. So just to put a pin on that is uh, anything, Amazon is just rolling out the retail playbook. There's a lot of questions about market power and all that. It's just like, what thing that I think people need to be very cognizant of, it just has happened before. And this helps you if you're trying to battle them, right? It's like, they're going through stuff that's gone before. You should, so you should look at historical analogs. And I want to address Blau's exact point about how to compete with them. And you brought up such a great point. You said, do you give white label? Do you give like a white glove service? Do you build a great brand? And, and, and you nail them all. This is exactly what Shopify is doing, right? Mm, Jack yeah, store point. is on Shopify. It's because everything is a commodity. Just everything's a fucking commodity. So what do people care about is narrative and story. And this is why we talk about this ad nauseum over the past 20 episodes, right? It's like building a story, a brand, a personality, trusted distribution. This is how you compete against Amazon. It's because people will be willing to pay a 20, 30% premium because they love Jack. Or they love me, presumably. Boys. We'll find out. Yeah. Seventy million dollars in revenue boys, in March, right? apparently. They're crazy. selling a hoodie. How's that any different from anything on Amazon, right? It's because you really? love the story. So more than ever, being able to build community, do story, powered by Spotify, uh, by Shopify, right? Turnkey. If you have a personality, you have an audience, you want to sell them shit, you go to Shopify, you, it sets you up in 35 minutes. It, it not guaranteed you'll make money overnight, but there is a way now for you to leverage your advantage. So Jack, to you, Mr. VV on Shopify, how do you, with that framing of Amazon versus Shopify, how do you like that? I think it's great. I think the, um, I have another anecdote from a friend of mine who owned the bar who uh, would, would talk about the margin is in the story. So they would buy the cheaper, they would buy the cheaper tequilas that weren't, you know, weren't inferior by any means. Like, but you buy Patron or whatever, your margin per glass is like minuscule. Yeah. Then you can buy some smaller brand. And then the bar, the, you know, the person serving drinks at the bar would be like, oh, this comes from this, uh, this place in Mexico and it's, it's, produced this way and this is the story behind the brand and you know in the same way that's like when you go to a website and you don't get hit with 19,000 ads for like white label batteries you're having a bit of a different experience than you would yeah. like shopping at amazon <laughs> that's a great example i like that with the bar because it's like that i mean i'm thinking of like cocktails they're telling a story they're mixing a bunch of juice in exactly. it to make it taste nice anyway <laughs> so versus and, and then actually if you think stuff we've talked about before like uh conor mcgregor like i don't know i haven't drank his whiskey whatever it's called i forgot what it's called it's a proper 12 but he sold his steak for like 100 million or something crazy like that and from people i've spoken to they've said that it's really basic it's not like high-end whiskey, right. obviously. It's just his brand. He's put his face on it. And that's why The Rock, him, Kendall Jenner, or one of the Jenners is doing stuff like this in tequila. So yeah, that's a great example. I never thought of it like that. And it's just, it generally is a homogenous product on the low end. And then th there is obviously the high end where they're doing all this crazy distillation or whatever. And, you know, crazy stuff in Japan or whatever. But like, 
for most people it is going to be under a certain price point it's it's all about the story yeah, and then the yeah. last one is like wine right like wine people buy wine what because they look at the label for most people they don't really know enough about it and um and they've always heard the story like you just said oh this was you know handmade in on an organic bio farm in the in malbec region or whatever like in argentina you, you don't know anything about it half the time yeah. So um, I think that's a big segment. But so Trung, one of the questions I had is, you know, you were talking about the the take from Ben Evans. Um, what what is it, right? Like we've went back 10, 15 years ago. I did my dissertation on e-commerce and I just assumed everything was going to zero in person, right? I didn't yeah. know what I was talking about. But we're only at 20, 30% of purchases happen online. Yeah. Maybe that will get to 50% one day or whatever. What do you guys think is the, the value for an Amazon to, to be in, in person like this? When, what, what's the point when they can just be doing it online and just getting us to the 50%? I think what you touched on it actually, right, is like you talked about the delivery. How can you have a competitive? So one of Walmart's advantages over Amazon is it has hundreds of stores. I think, I, I don't know what the number is, but it's something along the lines of, 80% of Americans are within whatever, two miles of Walmart, right? You know that statistic? Like there's something like that. So Walmart has this incredible footprint. And, you know, Amazon, I think the way to look at it is this. Amazon isn't married to being online. What is the job to be done, right? You want to talk about MBA talk? It's like, forget about what the business does. What is their job? Their job is to get people what they want. So if that means they're going to open a store so they have a better footprint for people to do returns for people on their way home. And it makes sense like economically for them, they're going to do that. And I think this, what COVID has shown is like the popularity of curbside pickup, the popularity of having uh, that last mile. So last mile distribution is known as the hardest problem to do for, for delivery. Right. It's like, how do you get that last like door to door? And then one way you do it actually is like, instead of going to them, you bring them to you. And the way you do that is by having physical locations. I got that stat for you, Trump. Yeah. 90% of the American population live within 10 miles of a Walmart. Yeah. So there you go. Love that's it. a drive, right? That's a, uh, whatever it is. It's a couple minute drive to a Walmart. So that's there. So that it's, but the thing is this, it's super interesting. That is a huge advantage for them but it's also becoming a bit of a disadvantage for the, the people that can employ because of this hybrid model that's happening. And this is actually where Amazon can have an advantage and Amazon actually just, I think, uh, I think if you, Jack, you look, uh, sorry, I don't want to make you Jamie here, but if there's a, I think, I think, I think over the past year, Amazon surpassed Walmart for the first time selling merchandise. I think they did 690 billion over the past 12 months. I think 690 is a number. I like how Trung is, I think, and he gives a very specific yeah. number off the yeah, top yeah. of his head. I think that's a number, <laughs> but the point is that they they, they they passed Walmart within the last couple of days is something very material. Okay. And, uh, and it actually brings up something very difficult for Walmart because of this. So Walmart has to do the same thing now though, right? So if, if Amazon's coming to Walmart by hitting more real estate and even like consumer facing real estate, not just their distribution warehouses, Obviously, Walmart has to do the same, right? They're going to have to have fulfillment centers. But what they, what Walmart's actually done is that they're trying to make their existing stores fulfillment centers, but this is the big problem. That person you're paying in your store is trained to be a cashier, right? Fulfillment center is a totally different muscle. Mm -hmm. And fulfillment center employees, 
And listen, Amazon's fulfillment centers, they sound like fucking nightmares, right? And there's awful horror stories, a lot of them. There's two sides of it. One side is there are lots of horror stories. The other side is that a lot of people working there would also actually recommend it to to a lot of their uh, 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 people in their neighborhoods, right? Maybe because there's no other option. So I'm not saying that's a good thing, but uh, uh, the devil's advocate, if you want to balance both sides, is one side is there are horror stories about the work conditions in the fulfillment centers. The other side of it is they tried to unionize in uh, in Arkansas, Alabama, and it didn't work out. It wasn't even close, right? And uh, some people can complain that Amazon was doing dirty tactics. I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty of that. But there's both sides to every story. If you want to take the far extremes, the far extreme is that's a terrible workplace or the other extremes that people, maybe that's the best they can do. And it's actually decent. Uh, it's decent enough pay for where they're from. There's obviously a middle. And I don't know where the middle is. And because nobody ever wants to talk about the middle, let's not deal with that. But Walmart's issue then is this, is they're going to have to become and build fulfillment centers or have the equivalent of fulfillment centers as they go digital, right? So that's the challenge right now. So as Amazon's going in, and they get to do these things from scratch, right? They don't have all the baggage of 50 years that Walmart has. So Amazon gets to be like, okay, if we're going to build out this quote unquote department store footprint, how can we just plug it into this machine we have, right? So Amazon's just in a much better position now to do the job for the customer, I think, in the next and, 10, 20 years. And they years. get, just to add to what you're saying, Trung, I think the big challenge with a lot of traditional retailers is they come, they're coming from the other side. They've got these bloated stores that, that yeah. cost them too much money. They've been working in that world for 1,500 years or whatever they've been around. And when the internet came around, they had to figure out e-commerce, you know, and there's so much to that. Payment processing, um, figuring out, f uh, like, returning stuff online, right? Whereas Amazon done that from day one. So yes. now as they're going into physical, they're going to have all this complex and complicated infrastructure that they've already developed. Yeah. And when I was working with a lot of these retailers, they would, they would, I hate this phrase, but they would use the phrase omni-channel, right? And yeah. everyone's trying to be omni-channel, <laughs> you know, which means like, how do I research online, purchase offline or vice versa? How do I buy it on the website with a discount code? And then it still shows up in their system in Best Buy or whatever. Like to figure that out is incredibly hard in the short amount of time that we've had yeah. to do it. Even for Amazon, that's going to be a challenge, but they've their retail stores are probably not going to be what we're used to. Right? Exactly. The, the word, the exact word is leapfrogging, right? You get to, Completely. so you're at a disadvantage, but then be, you're at a disadvantage because you don't have it, but then you don't have any of that baggage. So you can just jump to 2021 and do what people in 2021 would do, right? And, uh, and, and start from there. And, and then I you mean, can add the self-checkout stuff, like the way yeah, Whole Foods, exactly. I know they, they they don't have that in most places, obviously, but just uh, they can start to think futuristically and say, what does it look like if someone just walks in without having to do the normal thing? Um, and so, I mean, the, the, and then the last, the other thing I want to add is there is a little bit of unfair advantage as well, because if these two companies, let's just use Walmart and Amazon, um, and I don't know the PE ratios off the top of my head, but just generally speaking, Amazon, because they've got this monster of a business with Amazon Web Services, they are able. They were able to basically not make a profit for many, many years, right? Well, and they chose they were, this different, right? They, they chose. They, they chose. No, they had a cat. They had cash flow, but didn't have an accounting profit. It's, it's okay, fair. Fair, I've got the PE ratios if you need them, boys. Well, well, I was, well, all I was going to say is forget like Walmart because Walmart are actually doing some interesting stuff yeah, in e-com, right? But the, the point is a traditional retailer, 
they are still generally being valued on the right, old right. you know valuation model if even if they're public which makes sense because that's how they're operating whereas amazon is obviously valued in a yeah, completely different us. way and well, go on, yeah yeah go on jack walmart's 42 amazon 55 Ooh, oh that's, that's interesting I that's not way more well yeah that could uh I was expecting something way more interesting. I was thinking a lot more, yeah. But I mean, I think Walmart, though, they bought Bonobos. They bought a bunch of uh, Jet.com or whatever. So they- What about Amazon buying Walmart? Can you see that down the road? <laughs> yeah. It's that like a, a Logan Roy style uh, yeah. takeover. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, this uh, this could be its own episode, but I think we just talked about it mostly because of that news news piece came out. And uh, that was good. That was good, though. That was good, man. Yeah, I, th- I think just to put a pin in it, for me, it's just- I think Amazon's eating everyone, and like if you're if you're not competing on the things we said, which was brand, you know, specialist delivery or service, you're pretty much you know not going to be able to survive against them unless there's crazy intervention. Um, and then I think the big players at Walmart, they already have a footprint that they can. That's their advantage, right? So now they're trying to figure out all the e-commerce stuff for the last ten years. Um, so it's it's interesting to see, but I, I can't imagine anyone doing it better than amazon man they're they're just going to eat everyone's lunch i just want to pull up a receipt here boys uh i can't find it amazon Maybe receipt could, no it's <laughs> a uh, a tweet from a couple years a couple months ago uh it's uh the idea that you'll either be amazon or an artist the year or amazon employee a mega exaggeration but it's like indicative of the bigger trend and you could categorize a brand on that side right it's about culture story blah blah and if i can get an nft reference in because we wouldn't be it wouldn't be not investment advice without shilling some nft explanations so uh the idea of like fungibility and non-fungibility as you can map that onto commodities and like luxury goods or one-off brands right fungible thing is a pack of batteries a non-fungible thing is like, you know, the tequila brand that you must drink because it's George Clooney's and you think George yeah. Clooney's a ledge. There's only one George Clooney, right? <laughs> I think it's <laughs> a ledge. <laughs> <laughs> so the fungible game or the commodity game is margin. And then the non-fungible game is brand and story yeah. and personality and all this stuff. And it's just going to be, those are the two extremes of yeah. the, that's the barbell, right? Get your Amazon stock and buy your NFTs. Not you, know what, you know what's funny? You know how the criticism is uh, uh, with Apple? People are like, oh my God, people just buy Apple because of the brand. Or like, oh, people only buy Louis Vuitton because of the brand. It's like, man, that's the entire point, bro. <laughs> like, that's exactly. the point. Exactly. You know how much yeah. manpower and dollars going, whether or not you think it's a waste, because I mean, an argument can be made for that. But I'm just like, these people are just playing human psychology, right? Cool. Remove human psychology from it, right? Remove status from it. Remove narrative. Cool. Let's just do it. It's just not going to happen, right? That's you know what? Crazy. Like, here's another way to say that. It's like, oh, people only fight wars for a brand. Uh, yeah, same shit. Yeah, it, it just, yeah. But literally, yeah, they do, right? Literally, yeah. we had a couple episodes ago we're talking about the standing for the national anthems and the flag. I mean, that's literally this, right? It's like this story. Um, but uh, you guys want to boogie into the next thing? I think uh, that's yeah, a good no, point. that was great though. Yeah, good one. Um, Very good. All right, segment. so just real quick, we're gonna talk about Lionel Messi because he's done this monster of a contract at PSG. Our boys in Paris. Um, so Tron's going to give us a little <laughs> overview of that because he's turned into a football analyst all of a sudden. And no, dude, well, uh, you guys will I was, laugh, I was loving man. this. You got, well, 
I want you guys to opine because you guys know way more than me, man. Probably Palau, you watch way more football than me, yeah? Dude, it's really sad. But this morning I watched, or last night, I watched a two-hour analysis of Arsenal losing on, the, on like this podcast I listen to, this Patreon, <laughs> and it's so ridiculous, well, dude, but I enjoy you, it so actually, much. Wait, Bilal, this is perfect. So I'll, I would, this is actually perfect right now because I'll frame it. So I did this thread on Messi, and I'll tell you right now, I know nothing about football. I am a total armchair like spectator, man. I probably watched a f- one full football game twice in the last two decades, right? These are all, World, all, Cup all, World Cup yeah, final. World Cup final. World Cup final, dude. <laughs> but listen, I know a good viral story when I see one, and this one is pizzopping right now. So we want to talk about, I mean, earlier in uh, Not Investment Advice, one of the early episodes, uh, Jack had mentioned there's a certain ratio when he knows a tweet's doing well. So I can tell you right now that when you have 3,000 likes on a thread within the first three hours, it's doing incredibly well. Let's see that. Let's pull up that tweet activity, mate. Let's see some stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is good. Oh, yeah. Let's just, yeah, let's just see what this tweet's doing. I like that. Behind the scenes. Jesus. 200 and, yeah. (laughs) 230,000 impressions in... in uh, You got in, a problem yeah. with your account, mate. I saw that. No. I know, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go yeah, on. Let's do the football up. analysis. All right, guys. So here's a, here's a thread. It's super quick. You guys are real football analysts, not me. Just total casual. Well, you'll, you'll laugh. I already got DMs from people saying, this is so embarrassing. It's so clear you're from North America. Like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. It was like one of the first comments. I'm just laughing, man. I'm like, listen, bro, I'm just trying to go viral. Like, go kick rocks, man. Um, so here's the, what it is. There's a lot of, I mean, so, Bilal, let me ask you, uh, both of you guys, does does Messi have a reputation for being quote-unquote lazy? Uh, I didn't know this. And honestly, I don't watch enough Messi to know, but... When you wrote this, I was like, oh, it kind of makes sense. Okay, um, so he has a, apparently, again, this is all me just reading and watching YouTube videos. So ever since Messi joined Paris Saint-Germain, so this is the big news in the football world, uh, he left Bar- uh, Barcelona to go to Paris. I think So apparently he's going to make 75 mil a year, including uh, uh, a licensing rights. So apparently he's a very lazy player. This is what people say. And there's this amazing gif, right? I think this is why it's flying. It's just the most egregious. Uh, it's like how, wait, Jack, how good of you understand Twitter well, bro? How perfect of a gif is this? Oh, so superb, this man! It's like I, I must read the next tweet. Yeah, like, like dude, <laughs> he's literally just ambling along the pitch while the opposing player runs past him, right? So there's a. So let's get into the numbers. Let's get away from the visual. So one of the most most viral moments of Messi and people complaining about how he walks was in the 27-17 uh, El Clasico match. I have no idea what El Clasico is, but it sounds important. It's like Real Madrid. Yeah, it's like the big game. It's like okay, Real Madrid huge, versus right? Barca. So 90-minute game, he covered five miles of the field. So that's a lot, right? That's still a lot. <laughs> but he walked for 83% of the time. Just walked around the field. And he's Sprinted for one percent of the time, so for like what is that ninety seconds? For he spent a ninety second sprinting in this game, and he scored one goal and had an assist. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it says, there's a there's a headline: How Barca's Lionel Messi decided the Clasico in walking mode. So people Unreal. started digging into the numbers, and yep, sure enough, if you look at the distance covered, this is a chart versus any other superstar. 
by far he does the least per game. The dude's just kind of walking around the pitch. But here's the amazing thing. So uh, MIT, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, has a sports conference every year. It's called the Sloan Sports Conference. And that year they had somebody from Barcelona and the Sacramento Kings from the NBA because NBA has kind of been in the forefront of analytics. So these two guys teamed up to look at how spacing is uh, is used in soccer and how the best players create space. Cause obviously soccer is all about being in the right space at the right time. And, and you know, you play 90 minutes, there's only a couple goals, right? And those goals are usually based around players carving out scoring opportunities in space. And so they, they framed it in two ways. They say that there are two ways to create space. You can run into an open space. So that makes sense, right? There's open uh, uh, space ahead of you. You run to it and you can uh, outrun the defense. The other way, and this is what Messi specializes in, is you let the play develop away from you, but you just kind of hang about into places where you know the play could go, right? So the famous Wayne Gretzky coat, uh, don't uh, go to skate to where the puck is, skate to where it's going. It's the equivalent. Messi just kind of walking around the pitch and seeing where he might be. Wait, now, Trung, can I just add why why you're saying that part before I forget? Yeah. Is I think like the other guy who used to do this, and I haven't seen the numbers on this, but Thierry Henry for Arsenal or oh, even yeah. France oh, probably. Dude. So he he would often hang out in an offside position and because because he was the best player and I think this is similar for Messi because he's so good he distracts them they're like they have to yeah. keep an eye on him and at the time they're like well he's offside but he's seeing everything so he can just creep back in behind them and and pick up uh, an onside position yep. so I think that's probably a similar no, example it's a similar as well day, right? it's similar basketball too and listen I know that we have a lot of entrepreneurial business people I'm going to get to why this matters <laughs> don't worry uh, but uh so well, the point I was going to make is Steph Curry in basketball is the same, right? Because he's such a good shooter, he pulls the entire court to him and it opens up all these avenues. But here's a, this is an amazing – if you're listening, I'm just going to show two quick pictures. Um, these are some, – some dude on Twitter put these up. They're so good, man. It's just showing – literally, here's Messi and he's standing next to the defender. I love the commentary. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so if you're, li- if you're listening only – Messi and a defender's in his still shot. Messi literally takes one step over, pulls a defender, and it leads to a goal because his teammate just runs into open space. And then there's yeah, a second good. image. This one's even better. You can just see it. There's five defenders uh, in, the, in the goal box, and they're defending two Barcelona players. But Messi knows exactly where the open space is. He takes fucking one step to the right, it creates a scoring opportunity for his teammate. He ends up scoring. It's just so insane, right? Yeah, that's that's the power a good of brand, boys. That yeah. is. <laughs> that's a, yeah, yo, exactly. Yeah, the people wondering, all the business types, like, oh, okay, get to the point. How can I apply this to my business? There you go. The brand of being the greatest scorer ever. You're gonna be pulling people. But uh, there's two other uh, parts I just want to add, which are incredible. The uh, somebody on YouTube put up a video saying it, apparently Messi does this every game. He just walks for the first five minutes. So he's never scored in the first two minutes of a game. That's already pretty rare, but he's never done it, right? This is like the most prolific wow. goal scorer ever. The dude just does not do anything in the first five minutes of the game. He's just surveying the field. And uh, his uh, his former coach, uh, Ernesto Valvalde, I mean, is that right, Bilal? You probably know it. I don't, yeah, just, and, that's the, and then Pep Guardiola, he's a Man City guy now. They're both super famous, right? Like the best of the best. So Ernesto says, 
Uh, gradually, as the match goes on, Messi moves in little by little. He knows perfectly where the rival's weaknesses are. So he's just kind of surveying and playing it out. But Pep has a great quote. He goes, you have to pay attention when Messi moves away. He spends the match walking. He's always analyzing the situation. When he receives the ball, he has a complete analysis of space and time in his head. He knows where every player is and then boom. So like all the examples we said above. So yeah, that's it, man. Like Yeah, that's interesting. The way the the way I'd frame all that is uh is the whole shtick that I had was it's the whole work smart and not hard. And the way I wanted to tie it into uh the business entrepreneurial world is uh I think you, one of you guys linked it to me. But Chris Hurd, who runs a startup that does remote work, he posts this amazing tweet written by the Atlantic, and then he just wrote, I wish I had written it. And uh, it's so good, man. I'll, I'll read. I'll read it out. He goes, "Remote work lays bare many brutal inefficiencies and problems that executives don't want to deal with because they reflect poorly on leaders as those they've hired. Remote work empowers those who produce and disempowers those who have succeeded by being excellent diplomats and poor workers." So this is just like the the link. Amen is this, to is that, like, man. <laughs> work smart, not hard, right? And like you don't. Not all the work has to be seen all the time by everyone. That's clearly messy, right? When he's walking around the pitch those first five minutes, I mean, he's working, it's in his head. You're not seeing it, right? And uh, I think it just translates so well to this idea of like, man, it's like the 40-hour work week and going in the office and putting in hours, it's just it's useless, man. It's like, just do you, can you produce or not? Can you, yeah. uh, and, and we either will talk about this in a future episode or a past episode, it's like Jack going out there, and creating, you know, an initiative for uh, Afghan Afghanistan in two seconds, right? How much work did that take? What was the output, right? He didn't need to clock in eight hours a day to show that. So I think this messy example is just the greatest example of work smart, not hard. And not to say that he doesn't work hard, but it's like, what do you see and the effort that people try to calculate is like what's actually put in and what is the what's the output, right? I love that Trunk That's secretly it. is the most actionable person out there, but shits on those people. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he always, all the, every time you do a lesson in one of your threads, it's always a shit part, uh, shit post yeah, part yeah, of the yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> it's like Satya Nandala is uh, a billionaire from blah, 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 from Microsoft. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, uh, oh no, it's no, like uh, no, no. It's 900 he, he, million. He increased the market cap of Microsoft by a trillion dollars, but it's only paid 800 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Lesson. <laughs> gone employees don't you don't get rich being an employee yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the amount of people responded thinking oh you're being God, serious dude. amazing well, so the, the the thing i'll put with messi is this uh we'll, we'll put it in the you know in the in the comments or in the in the show notes this is just a great example man if you want to if you're going to your boss and he's asking you where you're clocking in just pretend you're messy bro just send him the thread man. just send him the thread Listen, Messi's walking around all match, man. I'm the same. Actually, somebody uh, messaged me in the DMs and we had a good laugh. Uh, he's like, can you do like an office version of this? And I'm like, yeah, the office version is this. Some dude that does nothing all year, but then closes a million dollar client, right? That's like yeah. Bilal Zaidi, a uh, uh, charity water. Just like, everybody's <laughs> like, man, what's Bilal doing? Like, I haven't seen this guy. Comes in with a $10 million check. There, there you go, buddy. The messy we go. employee of the year. I'm going to put that on the t-shirt, man. <laughs> okay, so wait, Bilal, you're a football dude. Like everything I've told you, uh, give a little bit of perspective. I'm a total outsider. No, I'm, I love you. I love the effort, tripped. man. 
I'm already getting chirped by people being like, oh, you're such a North American. No, so and I get it. No, here. I have to say, when you said the gold box or something, there was a phrase <laughs> which just... <laughs> no, no, it's completely fine, man. No, I think it was actually pretty good analysis. But yeah, I guess the only thing I'd say is like, because he's the best player in the world, he's an, a 12 out of 10 on the talent scale. So yeah. he can kind of afford <laughs> to do that. Plus... He's the sort of person who gets away with doing certain things like that. Interestingly, Pep Guardiola is one of those managers. Um, I don't know as much what he was like at Barcelona, but at Man City, even the star players, they need to track back. They need to be quite disciplined right, and right. stuff like that. And then in the his job as the manager is to get you to the final third. And in the final third, that's where a lot of the magic right. happens, where you can't like have a set play the way we think of it in, in the NBA or something like that. Um, but yeah, a big part of like that sort of player uh, being good is like the fact that they can make smart runs and like just yeah. take other people out of the game. Like one of those screenshots, he took out four players yeah, because he amazing, just slightly man. drew back. Um, and there's, but then there's other players who are just incredibly hardworking and that's what they bring to the team, right. you know? So, it well, actually, Bilal, so these are two criticisms that I saw in there. And, and just to be fully transparent, total, I'm a total spectator here. <laughs> and it's hilarious that the thing's ripping, right? Um, so the other thing that was the criticism was, uh, I think you touched on it is he, you know, he should be running back on defense. And then some guy replied to it saying, actually, you know, like, for Messi, it's worth the risk, right? Just because of how good he is. The, it's yeah. worth the risk to have that trade-off. And then the other thing that the person said was um, he actually is super athletic. Uh, it's just not known. It's, it's a different type of athleticism. So I, I don't know. He's definitely incredibly athletic, but just like I think the word lazy gets thrown around. Like there's a player that Arsenal used to have who is a controversial guy now, Meza Ozil, who came from Real Madrid. And he just looked lazy the way he like just runs you know it's okay. like his style of running but when you actually look at his numbers he he did run quite a lot like it wasn't that he wasn't trying but yeah anyway um that was good man Wait, thanks for sharing that. I'll, I'll let you i'll let you uh, for any other for any of our listeners that are football fans we'll let Balao stir some controversy here so also messi hasn't won a, a champions league in what seven years is this right uh it's a seven years i don't know i don't know when he last won but he yeah, I don't. I don't know the the last time Barcelona won, but um, he's won pretty much everything though, apart from the World Cup. He just won the Copa America. He the, the, the interesting thing is, I think a lot of the time in sports, you know, like guys or um, sports fans, but my guy friends that I have these conversations with, we always talk about like the best player of all time across any sport, and you could spend all day talking about that. But like one of the criticisms for a lot of players like him or Ronaldo before was like, oh, well, they didn't win anything with their country or whatever. And I always think in, in football especially, it's just really hard because the difference between a LeBron out of five players going to the NBA, like going to the, the Heat or Cleveland Cavaliers, like that just raises the level of the team so much more. And so if Messi goes to any team, yeah, he raises it at an incredible level, but there's still 10 other players. So if the other 10 players are not as good or the other team is much better. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it, it, you can't punch as much uh, just as one player. Well, dude, I'll show you. Let me give one more because I'm going to boogie. I know you guys got something to uh, talk about while I pick up my kid, but uh, this is my favorite uh, uh, LeBron James meme ever. You guys will laugh even if you're not basketball fans. So I don't even, in the, 20, <laughs> in the 2015 finals, it was LeBron against, I mean, Cleveland against the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Kevin Love got injured and Kyrie Irving got injured, the two other stars for Cleveland. So 2015. So 
Somebody put this photo up. The 2015 Cavs team photo. Just <laughs> LeBron. Basketball is yeah, it's a different different kettle of fish. Isn't Basketball it, is an absolute sport where more than any other sport, if you have the best player on the court, Audrey, you'll win. This is not with every sport, right? Like baseball is not like that. If you have the best player, it's because each is a totally separate game. Everything's siloed. It's a one-on-one match. But basketball is like, if you got the best, you're probably going to win. Yeah, um, yeah. What I was going to say is that that's it for me, guys. Uh, um, if you had any other things to opine on Messi? Yeah, we got a couple. No, Messi, I think we're good. We'll just finish up with a couple of things that Jack was looking at in Ethereum. Okay, um, beautiful. But yeah, thanks for joining, man. Yeah. You can log off. You can log off so it doesn't right. show your screen. Peace out, fellas. All right, man. Speak to you soon. See you, mate. All right, Jack, you also wanted to talk about this idea about logging in with Ethereum, mm-hmm. uh, logging with ETH. Um, you had this really cool visual. I don't know if you want to yeah, share, let me that. share that. Yeah, let me share I've it. got it in the dark if you want to share that. I got um, it right here. While you're pulling that up, I guess for people who, you know, a parallel here is obviously what we're used to, which is logging with SSO or whatever, like your Google account, Facebook account. Um, but there's been a discussion around what this would look like in Web3 and the benefit of using, say, Ethereum to do this. So, yeah, I'd love your opinion on this. Yeah, so I think I actually um, I got to give a hat tip to Bankless, which I think I signed up for because you told me about yeah, that Yeah, they do a great job, man. Do an amazing job, all things Ethereum. Uh, maybe the scope is beyond that, but that's a lot of Ethereum talk. Um, and they wrote a great email yesterday that would have been what august the 18th about ethereum's like inadvertently solving one of the oldest and clunkiest problems on the internet which is single sign-on and you know we've had like iterations of it with facebook and gmail and all like there are versions of it um but it really hit me because it actually inspired me to pay a tax bill that i need to pay and <laughs> went on to New York State. Actually, I probably got that. Uh, oh, man. I have trunk. like an Evernote of step by step how to do it because each time I go there, it messes it's up. It's such a mess, man. But um, I had a, um, I took a screenshot of the website. Maybe I can pull it into the browser here. This is the New York City uh, tax yeah. website. Just an absolute disgrace <laughs> in every like design standard ever embedded invented and this is after you figured out how to log in yeah so, it's hard to get to this page you this is when you hit the jackpot right right here yeah yeah so the idea that like all the experiences that you're having on web3 like open foundation for me like you literally have connect wallet in the top right hand corner and then you're in your whole account history your ens name if you have one is all you know one single thing, all the data you own, you've got money in there, whatever, versus maintaining these 500 different passwords and sites that have, sorry, you can't use that extension here. You can't use that many numbers. You can't log yeah, in with that. Yeah, the character limit or yeah, whatever yeah. for the password. Your Facebook, the account that you signed into Facebook with or the wallet, the email that you used to create your Facebook account was when I was like 17 and I don't have access to that email anymore. It's like a hotmail.co.uk email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if something goes wrong, I can't figure out how to change that. Anyway. Is it Jack the lad at hotmail.com? Something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not far off. Uh, so weirdly, it's like 
okay, this now you start to feel like this could be the next generation of user interfaces uh, are accessible via this wallet thing. And it's, you know, until you've, until you've experimented with it, which we've recommended you do a bunch of times, like not necessarily put any money into anything, but download a MetaMask wallet, go click around OpenSea. Um, it's just a very different experience. Um, and there are criticisms to it as well. If you lose your key to your wallet, then you're completely knackered, right? You can't, uh, you can't access anything. But I would make the argument that the amount of um, how important it is, you just treat it that much more um, with that much more respect and caution. Yeah. Like you don't lose the seed phrase to your wallet because you've got a lot of money in there and collectibles and things of that nature. So uh, I think it could be like inadvertently the thing that, that increases the adoption rate of, of Ethereum is uh, just the ease at which it, it makes it to interface with these like new marketplaces and things. Like I would be, I would love to have a messaging app that was just wallet to wallet, for example, mm. right? You just connect, people can send messages back and forth to you. You can imagine a hun- like hundreds of different applications of it. Um, like all these play to earn things, you log in with your, you log into games with it, you log into accounts with it, you log into marketplaces with it. Yeah, it feels like a different level of like sophistication than anything that's come before it. So we'll see. Yeah, and I think that I read through it as well, actually. And I think what I got from it was I was trying to be objective about it and see both sides. Mm-hmm. And I was saying on one side, what I liked about it was like all of crypto, essentially, you're taking the keys in your own hands, the private yeah. and public keys. So right now you have a password that you log into Facebook. Well, there's there's three versions, right? There's you have 500 emails, uh, address, password combinations for 500 sites. Yeah. That's what we did forever. Then we got to a slightly better place where you log in with Google or Facebook, which is yeah. generally much easier. And if it works, it works pretty well. But there's some trade-offs there as well. Um, the, the, using the same language here, you have your key, but they have their version of the key yeah. too. So if something goes wrong, like there's good and bad side to that because sometimes you get locked out, you actually have someone to contact right. and they can help you. Um, they also have all of the kind of sophisticated security stuff they're building, which I think is a fair point to call out as well. Agreed. And then there's now there's two step, two step verification, which I think combined together is a pretty good solution. And then there's the third level, which I think is the more sophisticated version of a web user nowadays, which is you use a really good one password manager or something mm. like that, mm-hmm. which I use and is sometimes a bit annoying, but um, I think it just limits the amount that if one got hacked, you're, you've got like these made up passwords across every website and, and stuff like that. Um, but so the lot, but they're moving on to like ETH wallet or, or ETH login. I was trying to think through like, yeah, the MetaMask example made sense. Like you just log in. Um, I think the MetaMask, MetaMask thing, you can sign in with your fingerprint too, right? On like a Mac or something. On your it's phone, like a password. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of like that because it's closer to what we have on, on like mobile devices mm-hmm. um, with multiple steps to of security, but you own it completely. So th- there's a benefit to that. So I guess the question would be the trade-off long-term around making a simple enough 
um, version of this, right? Because even MetaMask, I think is 10 times easier than figuring out the 24 phrase yeah, thing oh, yeah, that yeah, we yeah. all did a few years ago. But like my mum calls me once every three to six months to be like, what's my Hotmail password, right? right? So like <laughs> right. for her to go and do, and I've like saved it somewhere now yeah, because yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, it's this, you know? So like, so I'm thinking of someone like her or the hundreds of millions or billions of people who, you know, uh, are already not always remembering their passwords. I think the current version of the crypto wallets and stuff are much more complicated, but yeah. that doesn't mean it has to be. It could be that it ends up looking very much like a login with Google or Facebook mm -hmm. with your face, with your thumbprint or whatever, but it just means you've got the, the, the bones of it are built on that platform. And I guess the question is, are there enough benefits to it? you know, for the trade-off of the, the negative parts of it. So, but I thought it was a really interesting idea because it's not something I've heard before. Yeah, and I think maybe even the like security aspect of it will be built out as a, as a third-party decentralized thing, right? Where it's like you have, uh, I don't know, the, te the, the, the technical uh, logic here, but you can imagine like a trusted uh, application that, you know, I don't know, distributes and stores this stuff when, if you do lose it, but honestly, like digital hygiene and all of that stuff and, you know, security feels like we're at a point in time where it's like, everybody needs to take it far more seriously than they have been up to this point. It's crazy. And this could be um, an opportunity to, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You're right. You're right that, um, it's probably a million miles away from an average internet user right now. There's also like the economic layer of the internet that like, if you start to be an internet native earner, then something like this makes like a little bit more sense too. It's like, you don't have a bank account and a direct deposit and like this, uh, yeah, you know, that's a great point. relationship between these things Like you log in with your account. It's who you are and what you've earned and money flows in and out really easily as opposed to you know the way money moves in the traditional financial system is a lot more it might not even be slower technically but the amount of steps and confirmations and you know like yeah. trying to set up like your Venmo like account even. yeah yeah, like yeah go yeah, in yeah. and say what one cent was deposited and then fits the 15 cents you remember that thing where you had to confirm the yeah two you had to confirm deposits? right like from the bank oh, account. It's just yeah. mental, man. And that's partly my fault because I was an HSBC customer. This is investment advice. Don't use HSBC. They're <laughs> awful. Uh, but, you know, some of the banks now are like one-click sign-in to these fintech companies and stuff. So well, it's getting especially better. Especially like, honestly, in the UK, they've got some really good infrastructure where the banks all speak to each other through, I forgot what it's called, but there's like a third-party okay, platform. Yeah, yeah. And they all have, there's like a law that's passed where they have to kind of speak to each other so oh. um whereas the us i think is just a little bit behind on, on a lot of that Wild stuff west baby the uh, west. No chip and pin still no chip mate, and pin still, still got the signature <laughs> behind the bar where yeah. people uh, could be doing all sorts of stuff with the card but no i definitely agree man i think a lot of this stuff is there's the underlying infrastructure which is still needs to be built well what well, the underlying infrastructure is solid in a lot of cases right but there's the layers on top that use interfaces Mm -hmm. the practical use cases Security stuff so, yeah exactly well one example just to wrap it up from my side is 
I don't know, you're the one who actually sent it to me originally. It's Argent Wallet, A-R-G-E-N-T. And I haven't used it much. And this is not an endorsement because I don't know enough about it. Um, but they introduced this thing like a social recovery thing with your with the password, which I think is really brilliant. That's great. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. basically how you would find if you lost your keys, like your boy Sam Pa lost yeah. his keys when he's with you. <laughs> yeah. What did he do? He called you up, you're his friend. He's like, hey, could you go to the parking lot and check if the keys are there? Yeah. Like similar to this, if I lose my crypto keys, I'm kind of screwed right now, right? right? Because right. Uh, unless I've got it backed up in many places or whatever, which brings its own challenges. But if I could say, well, I've given two or three or five people that I know, family, your girlfriend, right. your wife, your husband, and they basically need to sign off on giving me access. And those are people that I know. That's what Argent Wallet does, apparently, though I haven't set that part up. So yeah, um, cool. I will check that out, actually. That's definitely edge of the internet uh, stuff, a really yeah, cool yeah. use case. Yeah, it's like, um, I, I think you, you nailed it with like, you could kind of see a glimmer of possibility there. There's a ton of challenges and a ton of uh, roadblocks to getting adoption, but it's like, the technology is kind of, or the, the infrastructure layer, as you say, is complete or close to it. And then it's all like interface on top, on top of challenges, of as opposed to like built, trying to fix infrastructure that can't do all of the things. Yeah. How can you be decentralized? How can you prove, you know, transactions? How can you encrypt? Like that stuff has yeah. been figured out in many yeah. ways. Yeah, really interesting idea, man. I think it's one of those that we'll see, but I, I'm glad we kind of brought it up. Yeah. Um, was there anything else on that before we close out, mate? I don't think so, man. Uh, that was a good session. Uh, that was a one. good session. Um, yeah, we've got some other stuff that we will bring to next week. We won't preview it because someone was complaining about that in the comments that we had never get to all the points. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, but no, that was great, man. I think it's a strong strong chat um all right and if you listen to this as always this is not investment advice and uh we'll see you on the next one all right cheers mate cheers <laughs>